Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. Welcome to episode 143 of the Gate World Podcast. I'm David. I'm Diana. And this is where two nerds generally get together to talk about Stargate, but today we wanted to talk about the uh, upcoming premiere of the uh, new sci-fi series, Dark Matter, featuring a number of uh, Stargate alums behind the screens and a couple in front of the screens. Diana, how are you? Hi, David. It's been quite a while since, it's, well... It's 363 days. <laughs> 363 days. And what a great way to come back together, thanks to the creators of Dark Matter creating a new show, a space show. A which space is, series. Yep, finally, which is something that we have been burning for for several years now. So applause for that. So that's exciting. Yes, absolutely. Now, now I mean... Is it really been since Stargate Universe, since there's been a dedicated space series anywhere available on television? Or have I missed a couple? There's been a couple of, like, mini-series type things. Okay. I mean, Extant has played with it, and that's a small series, but it's more of an Earth-based show. Okay. Uh, but it has had some nice pieces done in, in uh, space and orbit. Uh, the Sci-Fi Channel had a show... Uh, where we thought they were in space, but they weren't in space. So we've it's always been kind of a cheat. So yeah, no, this is the first real genuine out there and the great unknown spaceship type show, which is, it's exciting to see in the sense that it's long overdue. We'll get into the, the series a little bit more in, in just a few minutes here. So just, just so you know, so this podcast is being released uh, a week before the premiere of Dark Matter. We intend to talk about our uh, impressions of the series, some of the plot elements, but just so you know up front, we will not spoil the end. We'll discuss how it impacted us and what we felt about it, but we will not spoil the the uh, the twist ending to the to the uh, first episode. Yes, so, the big twist ending. Setting that aside for a minute, d- give us a rundown of uh, what's been going on for you this past year. Uh, well, uh, on, I'll, on the upside, let's see what's been going on. Uh, well, I've been doing stuff with Stargate novels with Fandemonium. Uh, they put out, uh, Sally Malcolm, the publisher and editor and Tom, uh, Reeves put out a fabulous anthology of short stories, uh, last year, uh, in the late summer called Far Horizons. And it's just done terrific five SG one short stories, five Stargate Atlantis short stories, and I contributed an SG-1 story to that. My favorite short story in the whole collection is Teal'c's First Night on Earth after the pilot of SG-1. Uh, <laughs> and it's wonderful. I mean, it's very poignant, quite profound. Would you expect anything less from a Teal'c point of view? Um, my short story in there, Perceptions, takes pl- it's the first mission for the team after Janet Frazier's death. And it deals with grief and it explores the five stages of grief and the characters as basically one voice, but through different components going through it. And I am excited to say that uh, thanks to the International Association of Media Tie-In Writers, it's been nominated for a Scribe Award. So that's Congratulations. kind of cool. Thank you. I, I enjoyed the, the short very much. It, it was it was everything that I've that I'd grown to love about SG-1. It was poignant. It stopped and made you think a little bit. It was sad. But at the same time, I mean, 
because of how it was structured, I mean, it, it gave it gave you chuckles. There was some levity there. Uh, Had to, and it yeah. was it was yeah. It it made me long for that show again. It, after I read that, I was like, you know what? It's been a while since I've seen this series. I really need to go back and watch it. It's been it's been years since I've seen the whole thing all the way through. I mean, I'm actually rewatching it right now because I'm oh, working yeah. on a new novel for them that is post series with Carter on the Hammond. And uh, deals with some of the fallout for Carter and for Jack and uh, all of the original and new flavors of SG-1 in regards to the Stargate Universe pilot and also Atlantis going back to Pegasus and the legacy books that uh, were written post-series and a whole other set of problems that are right on the horizon there that they're having to deal with. And hopefully that's going to be set up for a series with yours truly and you, David, and, and, and Keith DeCandido also, we're hoping, uh, that MGM will be happy enough that they'll want to go forward with it. Uh, Keith also wrote a short for... Yes, uh, he did. Yes, he did, and it's a fun one. It deals with that little bit of time between seasons three and four of SG-1 and why Teal got his soul patch. So it's uh, interesting. <laughs> it, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that is fabulous about the anthology is that it's obvious that all of the writers get the need to blend uh, the profound and the poignant with the humor, that that's what makes for great storytelling. And, you know, so, I mean, this is why we love the Stargate universe. Mm -hmm. How are you doing, David? What have you been up to? I have had an incredible 12 months. Yes, you have. Absolutely astounding. The last episode that we published was in, in early June of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lived overseas for the past, uh, for, for six months of the, in that time frame while I was gone. From October to March in uh, the, the Philippines. And I saw a different part of the world. And, you know, living in one spot outside of your own home country for six months it changed my life to the point where I came back and uh, a month after being back, uh, quit my job and I've taken a couple of months off and uh, I'm beginning to pursue other things. uh, Some of which with you, uh, we will be getting into after the main discussion, which we will, we will go into. Um, So stay tuned for that. Um, But I have just, developed a whole new appreciation for life and for you know so much that i take for granted in in the first world living in a a third world country holy cow was that completely transformative it changed everything it changed everything yep it's eye-opening i mean i've been to six of the seven continents in the world now and uh i've worked in several uh asian countries i've worked in several african countries and I know of what you speak, um, and it's humbling. In a sense, you know, when you travel and you work abroad like you did, it's not it's it's not necessarily like when the astronauts go into space and the overview effect that they have, but it is very similar. It's a perspective shift. Yes, the the, the country boundaries get blurred, and you start looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. You know, and this is I mean, this is one of the reasons why we're fans of science fiction. 
right? I mean, yeah, science fiction we, tends we to do that. Like to turn on the show, and and you know, all of us watch for different reasons. I won't pretend to say that I watch for the same reasons that someone else does, but a perspective shift is something that I am welcome to receive. You know, let's 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 put these shoes on for a little while and walk in them for a few steps and see how it yep. feels. You know, uh, so that's that's really how it was. Yeah, I, while I was in the region, I, t- I took advantage of going to Japan. I went to uh, Hong Kong. I not, I went to Vietnam, and even in in that area, that part of the world, there was little differences and sometimes big, major differences in terms of you know how people communicated and you know perception of things. Japan was a, a huge shell shock in that way. Uh, but it was just what an extraordinary experience. So, and yeah. it made me appreciate. It made me truly develop a fondness for travel. Yes, it is addicting. <laughs> it, it can be very addicting. Yeah, I, I totally get it. You know, it's funny because it is a genre. Science fiction is a genre that is popular. It's popular all over the world. Yeah. You know, if you look at, uh, for instance, if you were to go on boxofficemojo.com, where you can look at like box office receipts domestic versus foreign you'll see like the big sci-fi movies the big fantasy movies they do three times as well four times as well mm-hmm. overseas as they do here mm-hmm. movies that we might think bombed here do extraordinarily well overseas so uh that's always very interesting um snowpiercer is a terrific example and i i I don't know if you've seen it, David, because I I have it and I am looking forward to watching it. But that's like that's a foreign film production. I mean, I can't. I, I pulled up a special starring features. Captain America. Starring I might Captain add. America. I pulled up the special features for it though, and they're all talking in Chinese or something. It's like, but did I get the wrong discs? I don't understand. No. Yeah, it's Korean. Uh, it's well, Kore- it's, it's South Korean. That's right. South Korean. It's a, based off a, a Korean graphic novel. Yeah. The Chris Evans version. Chris Evans plays Captain America in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Um, it's magnificent, and uh, talk about being multicultural. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 a train filled of people from all over the earth, and they really do make it people from all over the earth. Uh, I bring it up only because I'm definitely going to want to talk about it in light of dark matter, okay. which is the subject, the big subject for today's conversation. Absolutely. But one beat just before we get to that, um, Arcalis Interactive, I think, was, was the other thing that I wanted to touch on. The uh, the company that was putting out uh, Stargate SG-1 Unleashed, they put out part one and part two, and there was a third part that was planned, and you know, it, it, I, I feel particularly, as I'm staring at the Stargate Worlds artwork, hanging on my wall in various picture frames i i'm sta- i have i'm in my office right now and i've got um <laughs> i've got we produce one two three four five six seven eight nine but we produce like 15 different concept arts for the box uh most of which are in black and white and and some which are in color um and they they decorate the wall around my my closet and i'm thinking about you know uh there's there tends to be this curse where it comes to stargate and video games where I mean, yeah, the the original the original movie did manage to put out a uh, uh, a game for uh, for the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis, and uh, around season eight or nine of Stargate SG One, they were developing a uh, computer game, which I did get to play, and it was very rough, but it was I mean it was it had some interesting ideas, and that got canceled, and then the whole reason that I'm sitting in Arizona right now was because I was brought aboard to uh, to pr- uh, participate in uh, in Stargate Worlds, which was the massively multiplayer online game that was in development for a few years, and uh, that failed to perform, 
It never got off the ground. And I was like, oh, finally, this touch-based game for uh, mobile devices, it seems to be working. You know, I played I played the, the first chapter with, with relative fervor, and I actually only finished the, the played the second one about a couple of months ago, all the way through from beginning to end in, in basically a single sitting. I went online and found out part three wasn't going to happen because the the company went belly up. And it's like, yeah. what is it? What is it with this? Uh, this well, curse? listen, to be fair, it's not just Stargate. The gaming industry is highly volatile and oh, yeah. uh, it's and companies go belly up all the time. Part of the problem with Stargate with the kind with that kind of game. And it was a great it was a great game. And I bought both segments of it in part yeah. to support Sally Malcolm from Fandomodium because yeah. she wrote the co-wrote those scripts uh, but part of the problem is is that a lot of my friends who are also Stargate fans uh, they did not download them they found out that you could go over to YouTube and just watch and just the watch thing them. and once you watched it once you know it really what's the point Right. I mean, the only way that Stargate was ever going to succeed as a game and in the gaming industry is as an MMO. But that would take, you know, some serious investment. It took a lot of investment and a lot yes. of those investors, investors never got their money back. That's right. That's so. right. Because it, it's just like making a television production. It's about lightning in a bottle. In the case of a game, it's you got to have good management, well, great mm-hmm. management. You have to have great, clever artists. You have to hit where people will want to see it versus watching it unfold on mm-hmm. YouTube, you know. And I went over to YouTube and I watched it and I was like, oh, God, it took me – I was stuck on this thing for 20 minutes. I could have just gone over to YouTube and it would have shown me how to get past yeah, this one exactly. particular piece. Uh, you know, I think it's just a little – it's either too late or it's just not the right vision, mm-hmm. you know. That's yeah. the problem. But the irony is is that the books continue to sell very well. The DVDs continue to sell very well. Someone's consuming something. That's right. The show is right now. The whole franchise is available on Amazon, and you know it shows very well. Although I get frustrated that they are showing the syndicated version and not the original for the first five years, yeah. not the original Showtime versions. Uh, in other words, it's cut down. There's pieces missing and stuff. Yeah. That's not necessary. Yeah, it's- yeah. It's a but the franchise, you know, the franchise, I don't know what's going to happen next year with Emmerich. I can tell you I just did a big uh, comic convention here in Houston two weeks ago. Uh, I think they had at least 25,000 people there. I had a lot of people stop by my table who already owned the books, loved the books, loved Stargate. There was a whole group that came dressed up as SG-13 with SG-13 <laughs> patches, which is awesome. I mean, I just like, I did cartwheel seeing that. Um, so, you know, the, the love is still alive for it. And there was a vendor there that was selling uh, Zach guns and uh, symbiotes. So the, wow. the fondness for the franchise continues, no question. The main discussion. So our main discussion for this episode is dark matter. Uh, Darren is uh, very preoccupied with teaching still. Uh, he's living up in uh, in Washington State, and he's like, you know what, you guys, you guys go ahead, and uh, I look forward to uh, being a, a listener to this episode. So 
uh, he asked us to go ahead and and, uh, proceed. So that's what we're going to do. This uh, series uh, was uh, developed and created by... uh, executive producers uh, Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully, who cut their teeth on um, Stargate SG-1. They were broad board uh, in season four. Windows and, of Opportunity. W- yep. w- yeah, Window of Opportunity. Well, I think w- Was that their first script? Yes. The first script they actually sold to Brad Wright and company was Scorched Earth, but they were shot in reverse order. They're both, yeah. They were both great scripts, and then, yes, they eventually came on board, and they became staff writers and staff writing producers, and then they became executive producers, and you know, at one point or another, the torch was handed to them on SG-1, yeah. and then yeah. on Atlantis when uh, Wright and Cooper went off to work on Stargate Universe, so they've repeatedly have had the torch handed to them. So the cool thing about Dark Matter is that it's their baby. It's not it the is theirs. It, it's not their adoptive baby. It is their baby. Yeah, they went off to uh, Dark Horse and and uh, uh, fleshed this thing. I think I think Sci-Fi passed on it. Wasn't that the case? Well, there's you know there's different versions. Uh, I, I researched this and I found more material uh, on Hulu as of today, June second. There is a uh, a clip that includes an interview with Malazzi where. He talks about how uh, they first developed it at Dark Horse. Yeah. So, but I've heard other variations where they first pitched it to Sci-Fi, Sci-Fi turned it down, and then they went to Dark Horse. And the the graphic uh, series is there's like character differences, right? Yeah, there is, and it's interesting. It's four 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 graphic novels, four part graphic novel series. In the graphic novel series, it's three men, two women, and a young boy. In the television series, it's four men, a woman, and a young girl. So it's interesting that a change was made, and I don't know at what point that change happened. That would be something to ask the creators. I don't know why that happened. Not to mention the android, which is uh, played by a female, so... Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of fun, actually. I mean, she is she is kind of fun. She's sort of a little bit of a female data. It's, she she's like data meets seven almost. She looks a little like seven. Very much she, a blank slate. But very much a blank slate. And I think that the actress is doing a good job of coming up to the edge of making it almost humorous without making it too over the, over the the edge, as it were. So I do like that very much. So let's go through the overall premise of the story first. The, uh, the characters, they wake up from some kind of a cryosleep. Uh, they're in deep space. They have no idea who they are. Um, all they know is that they have uh, certain abilities. Uh, one of them, you know, clearly very, very handy with swords. One of them, you know, knows how to handle the ship, um, generally speaking. Um, some of them have... Uh, uh, pretty good uh, uh weapons uh training like with with uh with guns and things like that so it feels like a lot of things that we've you know uh, seen before but just put together in kind of different flavors yeah i mean what they have is selective amnesia and it's a trope the you know amnesic hero and uh throughout the episode they're each trying to reach for who am i um so you have that going on and you have don't forget five the young girl she's like a part medic part engineer she loves to work with cogs and wheels and and wires she even talks about that a little bit Mm -hmm. you know that she likes that um 
Yeah, I, I would say that the challenge with what they've done with this pilot, because you don't really find out much about them during the course of the episode, because that's the question of the episode, uh, is that they're having to rely on tropes for our first impressions. And my issue, for, for half the characters I thought were really had a lot of potential and were interesting and were an attempt to do something different. The other half, I felt they were very reminiscent of characters I've maybe seen mm -hmm. a little too many times. Mm -hmm. And um, especially five, you know, there's definitely, I, I, if you go online, there's uh, a lot of references to Dark Matter as Stargate Firefly. And it's not entirely undeserved, to be perfectly frank. Yeah, let's be, you know, completely upfront about it. You know, I, well, let me go back a, a step further here. Sci-fi uh, has been, uh, it's dead to me. Sci-fi channel has been <laughs> dead to me since they, since they came down and, and axed Stargate Universe. Just when it was becoming absolutely brilliant. A absolutely. And, you know, uh, I can't blame them necessarily for, for, uh, for, for taking a pass at the series, you know, at that point because they were reinventing themselves, whatever. But that doesn't mean that I have to continue to watch them. So I haven't seen anything on it. I didn't even know that Defiance was still going, for instance. Yeah. Um, all, so, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've tangentially kept in touch with, with, with uh, Joseph Malazzi. You know, we, we, we stayed friendly. Um, and then I heard about this, this series coming out, and it's like, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give it a chance. I knew that he, he and, and Paul went off to Dark, to Dark Horse and developed this thing. Um, it's like, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll turn on sci-fi once more and... and you know, give it a shot. Joe and Paul, to be you know, completely fair, they um, are responsible for creating some of the best Stargate that was ever created. Unequivocally. At, unequivocally. To, at the same time, they were also responsible for some of the Stargate that was not the very best. So <laughs> it was... It, it was like you know what? Let me go ahead and and try this thing, and let's let's see if if they've refined themselves as writers to develop something that's uh, different. And my impression of this series is they have it feels very much like they have they have pulled the elements of uh, Stargate Universe that they liked and wanted to see more developed, and elements of of Firefly. Mm -hmm. And they have literally fused it together into this. Now, that's really... I watched the pilot, and I'm like, this opening is is clearly... Yeah. Uh, Andy Makita's opening from from uh, from St uh, Stargate Universe yeah. the, with the ship and, you know, with everything. It's like, am I watching Stargate Universe? You know, what, what show is this? And then it's like, no, maybe I'm watching Firefly when I come to it later. So you and I had, uh, and, and I would like to either come back around to this now or a little bit later about, you know, reusing things that, you know, you've obviously seen before. And, you know, is that okay? Is that, you know, uh, sh should they go not go near that? And should they go elsewhere? You know, why, you know, reinvent the wheel on something that, you know, people like it, that. That's one of the things that I want to have a, a discussion about as well. Yeah, I mean, I think we're there, so let's let's finish it up. I think okay. that you said it great when you asked the question of have they grown as writers, and I would say that they have in some ways. Um, I think that uh, of the characters, and just for our audience, if they haven't watched it yet, 
uh, by the when they listen to this, the, because the six characters, when they wake up, they don't remember their names. They refer to each other by the order the in which they woke up. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I would. There were three of the characters that I found distinct and with some unique flavors to them. And interestingly enough, it was all the even ones. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Um, Two, I think, was uh, two is it's it's a woman. She's a little reminiscent of uh, Ming Na's character on uh, Agents of Shield, that kind of quiet stoicism. Mm-hmm. But there's something distinct and different about her, and I don't think it's just the actress because I really liked some of her dialogue mm-hmm. quite a bit and the plot that Ma- Malazzi and Mully had are going through. Uh, four was interesting. We've kind of seen that before. The Asian guy who doesn't know why he can, but he's an absolute like master with uh, martial arts uh, weaponry. Six, I thought, was interesting. You know, I kept thinking it was going to fall back into a, a trope of some kind, the other or something else, and it never did. So that was great. Uh, mm-hmm. The other three characters, the odd characters, though, for me, the first one, no, he, he, yes, he had a little bit of incompetency to him, but he, he talked like Shepard. I mean, when the writers wrote yeah. the dialogue, it was Shepard's dialogue. Yeah. yeah, Joe Flanagan could have been saying it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, number three was Jane from Firefly. It's Jane. It's clearly it's Jane. Absolutely Jane. And five is River from Firefly. I don't know. I think five and four are kind of a kind of sharing the the bones of, of River. You know, you got someone who's really into like martial arts and has that has that element. But I, where uh, are you getting River from? Five. Uh, two things. She's first off. She's uh, there's some paranormal. The dream. Uh, there's some stuff that I, I don't want to give anything away. But there's there's kind of this empathy, almost telepathic. This sense of the other world that she has beyond what everybody else has. And there is a wonderful uh, monologue that she has that does get you, – you, you do lean in to listen to what she has yeah. to say. But it's very River-esque. Yeah. And then her uh, brilliance, her, her ability – I mean she doesn't just talk about the ship. Earlier on she talks about the human body in ways that uh, only somebody with – you know, a medical experience right, of some would know yeah. that kind of stuff. So she's absolutely brilliant. River was absolutely brilliant, but it's this paranormal sense that she has that uh, River had, and that she's young and innocent and in need of protection, and that is River also. So to me, that she was, she was. A little too similar to River. But, you know, it's just the pilot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, absolutely. And looking back on this and and seeing the climax of the episode, and and, uh, we'll get to the climax in a little bit here, uh, and and what they have have to do. But after I finished the episode, I was asking myself, you know, what caused their amnesia? What purpose does it serve? Because when you find out what they're supposed to do, it's kind of basically counterintuitive to what they have to do i mean if if the amnesia is going to change their opinion on what what they should do with whatever mission they've been given then why were they given it or what happened you know what well, is your impression yeah, on I that? Think, first off as far as the question i think it's excellent that there are central dramatic questions that aren't answered in the first episode that's what yeah. makes a great series a great in my mind a great pilot is about asking questions 
However, conversely, the big twist I felt should have come halfway through the episode. Really? Not at the end of the – yes, because I also am of the belief that a very strong pilot not only has it got a bit of an origin story to it, but it also is an example of what a self-contained episode will be. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the comic book or the graphic novel – from what I've been able to research from it, because I, I, I haven't been able to get my hands on a copy of it yet. I am curious to see it. The artwork looks really great. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the four issues, it looks to me like they're going to, I don't know if they're going to stretch that into a whole season dealing with this one planet, or are they going to wrap it up in the next episode? Mm-hmm. I will say that the whole thing with the big bad, I won't say what the big bad is. Well, there's two big bads. There's a kind of an emissary of the big bad, and then there's the big bad that's out there. Um, was reminiscent of Firefly also with one, one not only just the, the series in general, but there was several beats in there in the last couple of acts that were that were very reminiscent of the, epi- the, the early episode of Firefly called The Train Job. Yeah. You know, where they go in thinking they're going to do one thing, they find out information, and it affects their decision process. You know, to be fair, we need to say that, you know, we've only seen the first hour. The pilot is, is two hours long. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, the pilot, there, there's, there's, there's two parts to that pilot. We've only seen the first part. So, uh, having said what you said, you know, it would have been nice, you know, to see about halfway through, you know, them get this information. That's technically what happens, to be completely fair. Yeah, but David, <laughs> so. I also have to tell you that I felt that the pilot, the one pilot I watched, the first hour, I felt in the middle that it was slow. I yeah. really felt that, I mean, listen, Whedon got it done with you know, three more people on the cast. Uh, he got it done in his pilot done in 44 minutes. So, um, I, and I know these guys can write for a big ensemble. I've seen them do it. Yeah. There there was, there was a a screws untightened kind of feel to it. Um, that, that I, that I will have to acknowledge at this point, which is not necessarily, um, but that's what got Stargate universe into trouble. Yes. But you also have to admit that this show is clearly moving faster than Stargate Universe did from its get-go. Stargate Universe was slow. Yeah. And I think, I think as, as a true fan of Stargate Universe, I think it paid off for me, really, in, in, the, in this, uh, the, the second season later on, because we had all those character beats that really you know, made us attached to those people. You know, this feels like much, much more fast-moving in, in, in some respects. I got kind of like a Hunger Games vibe, even texture in, in, in certain components of that, tied in with, uh, with the, the SGU feelings in Fire but I think the the pace is much faster. I think the I think the story is probably going to be better for it. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, watching television these days, TV does best when it just throws everything on the table right away, amps the stakes up right away, and just throws it all out there. But you got to right keep away. some surprises. I mean, you can't you can't reveal everything. No, no, I'm not talking about revelations. I'm talking okay. about immediately getting into the action, the plot, the problem, and making it as difficult as possible for your characters to get out of that problem. What's mm-hmm. the worst thing that can happen to these characters? It, it needs to happen right away. I mean, Game of Thrones. We've waited five years. It took five years of promise and setup for the episode that just aired this last week. Yeah. And yeah, that was an absolute the, the payoff. The beginning of of the end, uh, the beginning of the end of the series. 
Oh, absolutely. But it was a payoff on so many different fronts. Every character took one massive step forward. Yeah. Massive step. But most critics have not been very happy with this season. Yeah. And build up, build up, build up. And uh, I've seen several articles on big TV critic uh, websites, including like uh, TVLine.com, where people are uh, uh, critics are admitting that they've got stuff stored on their DVR they haven't gotten around to watching. And several of those critics listed Game of Thrones as something mm-hmm. that they watched the first episode of the season that got bored. They they might get to the rest of it. They don't know. Pacing is everything. It yes. has. It, it. We are so. Uh, impatient now. We, we So many of us don't even watch commercials anymore. We'll go to great lengths to, to avoid them. And we just won't, you know, uh, if it doesn't uh, attract us, you know, if it doesn't pull us in uh, within the first few minutes, you know, we, we drop it. We let it go. I have, I have lost count the, the number of films that I have started and simply not finished. Because, you know, it didn't pull me in. It's like, well, why, you know, I know I'm a completist, so this, this, I'm fighting against that, that completist surge, but why finish this? Why suffer through it? And, um, I watched the, in watching this, this pilot, I really didn't, you know, know what it was going to be. Because in the back of my mind, it's like, you know, I, I, I want to give this, this a chance. I respect these two men. Uh, never have I ever agreed with, you know, uh, all of their decisions as writers, but you're not going to, you know, in, in some of the shows that they've produced in the past. That's not the case, you know, but I, I wanted to uh, uh, give give them a chance on this. And I looked at the time, it was the 18 minute mark when I said to myself, yeah, I'm going to watch these 13 episodes. I'm going I'm going to, to come back and, you know, and see how this plays out, uh, truthfully. So it's, yes, it is... Uh, uh, definitely uh, taken from from the bones of, of SGU and Firefly, clearly. Um, but both of those shows failed to perform, failed to uh, earn themselves uh, future seasons. And, you know, maybe, maybe this show will be able to do it. Well, that's an interesting way to look at it as far as failing. I mean, in Stargate Universe's sake, I would agree, back, going back to what you're saying about the, the, the screws being too loose, on that first season because they got to, they took too much time to get it set up. Firefly, that was just a bad management decision, really, yeah. honestly. But um, I think it's more important that we talk about how um, the thing about audiences and patience and all that. I think there's another issue going on here, and it kind of underlines what we've been talking about throughout this podcast. You know, it's all been told. It's all been said. Yeah. It's really what the writers do with it. Yeah. And um, one of the things to be doing is to be turning the world upside down, is to build up expectations for the audience and then turn it upside down. I will say that the twist at the end, that's when I got committed to want to continue watching because up until that point, I was on the fence. I was very on the fence. I think the visual effects are good, but I've seen others like them. I didn't think there was anything really there's nothing particularly remarkable. There's, there's nothing noteworthy. Yeah. Not, no, and I'm not keen on the score. Uh, part of that may be that I was just very spoiled by Joel Goldsmith, but there are other great composers out there too. The yeah. score just didn't do anything for me. I, they're 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 kind of almost going for like the old Lady Hawk movie did a bit of a rock and roll score, and I feel like that takes away a little bit from what 
sci-fi is about and the only time it's worked is even firefly would have a little bit of a western theme to it but it would still have that majesty to it when they were in space and that sense of the profound and isolation of Mm -hmm. space and the rock score that they're going for it's not quite working for me um but that twist at the end of the first hour definitely warns my wanting to watch more uh i mean even several days later i'm still thinking about that twist and i mean it, it is a trope it's been done before but that's where I felt Malazzi, I could almost see Malazzi and Mullet getting settled in at that point and feeling safe to take risks. Yeah. Because that's what they need to do is they need to take great risks and get rid of that safety net of Stargate and Firefly. And yes. really just do their own thing now. The, the paths that they take, you know, are much faster than, you know, I, I would have expected. But this is what modern television and mo- even modern novels, storytell- all storytelling is about now is take bigger risks. And they've taken a huge risk at the end of the first of the first hour, which, you know, once this gets into syndication or reruns, this would be the first episode. Yeah. Um, and they needed to do it. They couldn't have held it off anymore. They couldn't. Old school 20th century television. Yeah, they could have waited to the end of the first season. New school showing us, really showing us what they can bring to the table that's separate from Stargate, separate from Firefly. That's what they did at the end of that episode. And that is why I'm going to watch the next episode. One of the things that I wanted to ask you um, about when I was when I was rewatching this, because you had you had sent me uh, text pretty early on. And you yeah. said it's it's like the black and white cookie put together of, of uh, SGU and Firefly to to make this. Is that necessarily a bad thing? You know, going back and taking material that that we've seen before and and uh, shoving it into a, a new presentation. Here's the deal. In their case, yes, because everybody knows they're Stargate. So my fear for them is going to be people turning it off, thinking, oh, they can't do anything now, anything new okay. because they've repurposed SGU. And that's what I worry about. I mean, even the cinematography, there's nothing remarkable about the cinematography. Let's be frank here. Um, it's all been done before. Um, but if, you know, if the word can get out there to wait to the end of the episode, that it, the first episode, that it's worth it, Hopefully yeah. people will want to continue for the ride after that. It, somebody else coming along doing that kind of stuff, quite frankly, and this is terrible to admit, somebody else doing that stuff, they'd be like, oh, that's so cool. That's so different. But yeah. let's take uh, you know, take Game of Thrones versus Walking Dead with the zombies versus the Walking Dead versus the White Walkers. Ice zombies, yeah. You know, the ice, yeah, the ice zombies. Well, the White Walkers, they're called. Um, yeah, but no one knows what that is. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, well, actually, it's a pretty highly watched show at this point. Well, so okay, I, Diana, very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I mean, man, Walking Dead's never done anything like the stuff that was done with Game of Thrones in this episode. Just like we see this battle in Game of Thrones and we, we know that Walking Dead – that it was inspired by Walking Dead. It went f- far beyond yeah. Walking Dead in its own way. Stargate, Stargate SG-1, Stargate Universe, Stargate Atlantis, those all had to come before we could get to Dark Matter, as well as Firefly and Battlestar Galactica. It, it, any writer who claims that they aren't inspired by previous works is lying. Yeah. 
they're, they're, they're absolutely lying. We are all influenced by everything around us all the time, and it's a constantly evolving story. My hope, though, is that people will give Malazzi and Mully a chance to get past this first hour because, like I said, at the end of that first hour, that's when it starts to get interesting. Well, we hope you enjoyed our discussion of uh, Dark Matter. It will premiere on uh, June the 12th, the uh, same night that uh, Jurassic World comes out. So <laughs> I'll see anything with Chris Pratt. So <laughs> He is good. <laughs> At the end of that dis- I, we watched I just, her the other night, and it's like, oh, oh, I forgot he is in that. Yeah. He plays yeah. a really creepy dude. <laughs> no, he's playing Andy. It's Andy from Parks and Recreation. And even his wife has warned – it's wonderful. I've just read a recent interview with him where his wife – apparently has warned him, don't ever lose Andy, because that's why the audiences love you. And it's true. It's not the, the, you know, I mean, now he's got this amazing buff body, big deal. There's, those are a dime a dozen now. It's Andy that we all adore. It's the affable, uh, less than perfect, less than brilliant, average guy with a heart of gold, you know? And I hope that guy shows up in Jurassic World. What's on your plate for the the next year before the next podcast? I'm kidding, mostly. But uh, <laughs> what's uh, what's what's going on? What shall we What shall we reveal to our What shall we reveal? Well, um, you know, I think I'm tired of only talking to you once a year. Although sidebar, that's not true. Audience, David and I talk like five times a week. But- <laughs> Um, in such and, a way where, yeah, but we, and we do have a lot of philosophical discussions. So we, it's like, why aren't we recording some of this and sharing it? Yes, especially because it does relate to pop culture. A lot of our stuff is either informed by pop culture or, you know, sometimes the reverse is true. I know that there's stuff that comes out of our conversations that inspires my writing. Oh, really? So, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Any writer who just has a one-sided argument is boring and not worth reading. Oh, well, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, so um, so what are we going to do about that? Well, we are going to uh, take this podcast on the road and bring it to a new place where you, the audience, can dial home. Dial in home, that's right. So we, we've decided to take our, our roots with, the, with Stargate and um, uh, create a, uh, a weekly podcast uh, abroad where you can um, – continue to listen to our uh, arguments and our and our insights and our you know our dreams and whatever so and maybe uh, participate yourself a little bit so there's yes. a lot of there's a lot of um, issues that I have wanted to discuss that are outside of Stargate a lot of uh, m- with like more broad strokes you know in terms of like pop culture and everything else and one of which that we, we touched on this topic tonight was <laughs> You know, is anything original anymore? You know, you had Battle Royale, you had Hunger Games, and then you had Maze Runner, and it's like it's all the same thread. It's until all the you same watch thing. Snowpiercer and then Mad Max, the new all Mad right. Max, and then you're like, "Thank you." There oh, Mad is Max, this the stuff. new one was good. Holy yes. cow, was that good? Yes, and then Snowpiercer. My God, that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So there is new stuff. Um, science fiction must get weirder, and that in itself is a great topic. There's a gazillion topics yeah. we want to share we, with fellow kind of fans work. of stargate yeah yeah 
like uh, what what can we what can we do to end you know evil is is that something that you know if you could do it would you do it you know we yeah. want to talk about you know what we need to you know get back into space you know why isn't there more space programming on um but even you know the 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 stuff that's happening with ai now and you know the technological singularity that you know may or may not approach 30 years from now there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of topics that uh, that we want to explore so um uh, keep, keep your ear to the ground because uh, we're, we're coming back. So give us a little bit more time and sometime later this summer, you will be invited to join us to dial home. And we have already reserved that domain. It is dialhomepodcast.com. This has been great, you know, getting back on uh, home turf with you uh, on the website that really started it all for, for all yes, of us and being absolutely. able to discuss something that's uh, that's Stargate related, but not absolutely Stargate itself. Um, I owe a great deal to Gate World on so many fronts. I've made some amazing friendships, yourself included, mm-hmm. uh, as well as others that are only because of the Gate World forums, which uh, I'm a big fan of. Uh, it is an, whenever the Omnipedia goes down and I'm in the middle of writing, I send Darren a panic <laughs> email. I'm like, yikes, I really need it because it's the one. There are other places to get this information, but I don't. they don't have – they're not as reliable as okay. Gate World is. So, um, and just to have that place to celebrate a franchise that has been just so entertaining and so much fun for so many people around the world, it's been a delight to be part of it. So I've been very grateful. Absolutely. Same here. Yeah. I'm you're really pissed that Darren didn't join us. <laughs> I really, really like to have heard his insight for this past hour. But uh, the next, next time we do it, we'll definitely have to bring him in. Yes, we will bring him on dialhome.com. There we go. And thank you so much for listening. We, you know, as always, we, you know, we, I, I, I've lost count of the, the number of, uh, the number of messages that I've gotten, you know, this past year. It's like, when are you going to do another podcast? When are you doing another one? It's like, oh, me too. You know, me too. When, when I have something to say, you know, so with, with the Stargate context, you know, there's, I don't have a lot to talk about with Stargate, but there's so much more going on. Just as, just like we need, uh, you know, a, 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 a true you know space opera to allow the exploration of so many of the ideas that you know that don't have a voice right now on television you know we need that back and you know maybe maybe this podcast will help us participate in it as well indeed so, and yeah. also we're you know break a leg to Joe Malazzi and Paul Mully with Dark yes. Matter. It'd be nice to see that really succeed and not just finish its first 13, but yep. move beyond and get crazier, take bigger risks, go yep. out there. They deserve that success. They absolutely yes, they do. do. Absolutely. David, thank you for having me on. It's absolutely. been a lot of fun to talk about Dark Matter. Well, uh, I, I you know look forward to, to many adventures ahead. And, and thank you to all of you out there once again. So uh, from uh, GateWorld.net, this is David. And this is Diana. And we'll be seeing you sometime soon on the Gate World Podcast. Mm-hmm.